0: and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. All right. Shit is bananas right now. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Somebody recently asked me, what do you do when you're doing all of the things, you're practicing all of the tools, but things still feel really intense. And honestly, this is where Ned de-stress comes in for me. It is part of my daily routine right now. It's a certified organic formula, full spectrum hemp with CBG, CBD, and also ashwagandha. So it really helps to calm down the body and soothe down anxiety. If you need some support right now, fortify your stress response and get 15% off Ned's de-stress blend with code FUNK. Go to helloned.com forward slash FUNK or enter code FUNK at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash F-U-N-K to get 15% off. Thank you as always, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering myself and our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. Hello, everybody. Today on the show, we have Deanna Minnick, and I am absolutely honored to have her here. I was first introduced to Dr. Minnick's work years ago uh, when she was a teacher uh, at one of the functional medicine training programs that I did, and I was immediately captivated by her work because she does something that I love, which is to blend the physical body with the energetic body using nutrition as a tool. Um, specifically why I wanted to bring her on, uh, now is because as many of you know, I, one of my videos on Instagram went viral and there was like 9 million views. And so with 9 million views of a video comes a lot of comments. The video was for a no soak, no strain, nut milk, where I just blended up cashews and hemp seeds to make a milk. Boy, oh boy, did so many people on the internet want to tell me about this concept of anti-nutrients. They were big mad, big mad that I wasn't soaking my cashews because anti-nutrients. So anti-nutrients is a concept that I have explored here on the show before years ago. If you've ever purchased my Eat to Achieve program, you've definitely learned about this concept of anti-nutrients. that is a foundational nutrition plan where we unpack concepts of functional nutrition and just kind of teach you how to eat. So super familiar, super duper familiar. Um, however I am at a place in my health where that is not something that I have to be uber vigilant about now we're going to be releasing, uh, uh, starting next week, an entire autoimmune series. And I fully recognize and respect that certain populations of folks do need to be more mindful about certain, let's call them anti-nutrients, as a way to minimize inflammation, as a way to get something into remission, as a way to keep something in remission. So I get it. I'm hip to that game. I wanted Dr. Minnick to come discuss how focused should the average population be on these anti-nutrients? Because we find them in all sorts of foods all over the map. So that's what today is all about. I'm going to spend a minute reading Deanna's bio. I usually don't read the entire bio, but this woman is stacked. Like her credentials are stacked. And so I'm going to take the time to read it because I want you to really understand what she does and why I brought her specifically on to talk about this concept. And it's up to you. It's your body, right? You get to do whatever you want to do with your body. But I do encourage you to just have some type of filtration system with. For, for all the information flying at your brain all day long through the Instagrams, through the TikToks, through all the apps. And I would encourage you to consider where you're getting that information. So some rando on TikTok who has never had a clinical practice, has never applied this information to multiple bodies, is going to tell you one thing. Should that have as much weight as what Deanna's about to say? I don't know. You can choose for yourself. Um, this conversation is not to discredit this concept of anti-nutrients, but just to give you more uh, perspective and context and insight. To all of it. And so then you are equipped with information and you can make the best choice for you. So, Deanna Minnick is a certified functional medicine practitioner. She's got her PhD. She's a clinical nutritionist. She's a nutrition scientist. She's an international lecturer, teacher, author with over 20 years of experience in academia and in the food and dietary supplement industries. Throughout the years, she has been active as a functional medicine clinician in clinical trials and in her own. Practice, which has now become oriented towards groups, workshops, and retreats. She's the author of six consumer books on wellness topics, four book chapters, and 50 scientific publications. No big whoop. Her academic background is in nutrition science, including a master of science degree in human nutrition and dietetics, a doctorate in medical sciences with a nutrition focus. Uh, For a decade, she was part of the research team led by the father of functional medicine, Dr. Jeffrey Bland, and has served on the Nutrition Advisory Board for the Institute of Functional Medicine, as well as on the board of directors for the American Nutrition Association. Okay, I lied. I'm not going to read the whole thing. There's two more full paragraphs, but you get the point. She knows her stuff and she's super kind, really wonderful uh, to chat with. So without much further ado, here's the interview. Okay. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Great to be here with you, Erin. I'm extremely excited. This has kind of been a long time coming. Um, I told you that the, the nut milk video went viral and that was back in June. So it's been a couple of months of me saying, I really have to address this on the show because... People are losing their minds about anti-nutrients. And it's funny just because it really does give you a little bit of insight into what people are talking about and what information people are being fed. That's one of the beauties as a practitioner to be uh, on social media, you get real insight into like what people, you know, what people are learning. And um, I thought who better than to talk about it since you actually co-authored a paper back in 2020 on anti-nutrients, and I've been a longtime fan of yours. So I think just to kind of spearhead things, nutrition is not black and white right? Kind of pun intended since you're like the rainbow color queen. <laughs> um, but <That's> as <laughs> as humans, we're not very good with paradox. We're not very good at holding two truths at once. Our brains like to categorize things and drop things into buckets. And we really do this with food and with nutrition, but the the human body, it's not like a this or that it's not an either, or it's a lot of, and also, and that's a lot of what we talk about here on the show is that there's so much context when it comes to information that we hear about health, about nutrition, about food, about our bodies. And so I, I, I like to equip people with information, um, that doesn't send people into like full-blown food fear. And unfortunately, I think we're seeing a lot of that. There's a real big push for plant-based eating, but then the flip side of that coin, we're hearing the plants can kill you. So <laughs> let's chat about how true that actually is. Um, I would love for folks to hear a little bit more about your, um, your education, your background, and what you do in your line of work, because I think it's pretty impressive. <laughs>
1: Mm, thank you so much. Um, yeah, just in short, I'm a nutrition scientist. So I grew up with a health net mom who really got me turned on to nutrition. have always been into science, went into grad school, studied carotenoids, which are phytochemicals. And then I went on for my PhD in essential fatty acid absorption and metabolism. Emerged out of that, went into working in the industry, in the food industry, learned a lot. Then I went into the supplement industry. I became a functional medicine clinician. And, uh, I, you know, so I've been sprinkled throughout many different diverse industries. And one of the things that I've been learning along the way in all of these many decades is that nutrition is like a pendulum. It's always swinging and it's either going to one end or the other, like you mentioned, black or white. And so finally I decided to look at like, what are the things that are irrefutable? Like we can't really cherry pick data. You go into PubMed, you start looking for articles And one of the things that I saw was that there was a preponderance of data on fruits and vegetables. Like you can't really arm wrestle fruits and vegetables because the the literature is replete with favorable benefits for reducing risk of chronic diseases. And now we're also seeing reducing risk of things like mental health issues, things like depression, anxiety, you know, plants are full of fiber and Vitamins, minerals, and even the thousands of different phytonutrients that we're learning much more about. However, every time I would go out and lecture and start talking about it, and I'm also the author of a book called The Rainbow Diet, which is connected into that whole plant concept, which, by the way, I do want to state that I'm not an advocate of any dogma. I'm not an advocate of being vegan, vegetarianism, just by way of me talking about the colors of plants. I'm not. Um, opposed to things like the carnivore diet. I'm not opposed to the ketogenic, paleo. You know, I put my arms around all of them and say, hey, this is great, a big basket of personalized nutritional therapies that we can draw from. The thing that I do focus on though is the common denominator, which is plants and colors and pigments in nature because it's out there and that's what nature provides. So if we start to look at the science of that a little bit more, you know, how are those different phytochemicals modulating our physiology, but I would get pushback when I would give talks about anti-nutrients, or I'd put up a social media post, just like your nut milk post went viral, I would also get, you know, I put up something on spinach, and then I get like this hammering on, oh my gosh, you don't know about oxalates, join this Facebook group, you better learn something about
0: this, it's like, you got to educate yourself.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I started, you know, and I'm an um, adjunct faculty at the University of Western State. So I teach as part of a graduate program in functional medicine and human nutrition. And so I work with students all the time on different projects. And I had one student at the time who wanted to engage in a project with me. And I said, Weston, his name is Weston Petroski. He has since gone on for his master's. And I said, Weston, you know, you're, you're really into plants and I'm into plants, but let's just make sense of this and like, pull up our sleeves and get into the literature because I'm getting a lot of pushback on, especially things like oxalates, especially things like lectins, and even things like phytoestrogens. Um, those were some hot buttons. And then histamines were, were starting to rear their head as well. I said, Weston, let's just be the scientist and go into the literature and spend, you know, three to six months. And let's just look at all of the data. What does the data say because if the data is telling us that lectins cause autoimmune conditions, then obviously we need to have some context around that. Like I was just curious, I was just scientifically curious and really coming from a neutral place of wanting to understand. So, Weston did a lot of the work of going into the literature. And we we wanted to focus on clinical trials mostly because when you look at cells or you look at animals, there's so many different things that you have to consider that a cell model system doesn't work like the physiological model system. You can get very different results. Animals, they have different circadian rhythms. They have different feeding behaviors. They have different gene variants, not always translatable. So even though we did look at cell and animal, we tried to focus a little bit more on clinical trials just to make sense of it for humans. <laughs> and so, yes, you're right. We put that article out in 2020, peer-reviewed. It was published as a narrative review looking at the whole array of different phytonutrients and antinutrients. And my takeaway from it, if we just want the skinny on all of it, was we walked away from the paper with a sense of feeling like, and I say it collectively with Weston, because, you know, when we look at the conclusion of the paper, it's that we don't have a lot to hang our hat on in terms of anti-nutrients. Uh, there, there isn't a lot of concern in the way of clinical trials where we feed somebody lectins and we say, oh, this is leading to changes in the immune system, or we're not even seeing uh, epidemiological studies where we can look at associations of these things, What we did find, however, is that there is much in the way of people eating things out of their original context, out of how we have eaten things traditionally. And with all of these different food trends and fads and juicing things and eating things every day in large proportions, there is a note of caution about that because we're taking things out of their element and we are eating differently than we have over these past you know, decades or even hundreds of years. So looking at things like sprouting, fermenting, cooking, certain things can inactivate some of what we would refer to as anti-nutrients, which is really just, you know, again, those precursor compounds, which haven't been transformed through the cooking and preparation processes.
0: Yeah. Can you just, can for folks who are not familiar with that term, anti-nutrient, that's what that means. Yes.
1: Yeah, so um, the name of the paper, uh, we were questioning even is there good rationale to suggest that there are such a thing as anti nutrients? What are anti nutrients? So, anti nutrients would be the offenders that we would find within plant foods that have been discussed, the ones that I've already referred to. So, things like lectins, uh, things like um, the goitrogens, things like tannins, phytates, things that could interfere with biological function, like thyroid function in the case of goitrogens, or lectins causing some immune issue or a gut issue, or even tannins in tea, blocking things like minerals from being absorbed. So what ends up happening in nutrition, as you have alluded to in some ways, is we we get a little bit too polarized, and we start to just look at one compound, and we start to focus on it, not realizing that, wow, within tea, You are not just getting tannins, but you're getting like 2,000 different phytochemicals, right? So I think that we've lost the holism when it comes to a lot of these plant-based foods. That was another message of the paper as well, that we need to look at foods more on the whole. And, And I've seen this before with my doctoral work where people look at saturated fats and they think, oh my gosh, that's so bad. But we don't eat saturated fat. We eat foods that contain saturated fats and a bunch of other things, just like we eat plants that contain lectins and goitrogens and tannins and phytates and phytoestrogens and a bunch of other things. And many times when we take foods out of their context and we're juicing and we're having large doses and like our 12 ounce of, you know, juiced raw kale every day, and we have subclinical hypothyroidism. And then we wonder, well, why are things kind of changing with my metabolism? And I'm you know, having these labs that are being modified. Well, because we're doing something that is, in in some ways, it's out of proportion. So, and that's why, you know, Aaron, one of the, the, the three principles that I talk about with plants is color, creativity, and variety. What people are missing is variety. So they're just getting into these ruts and the ruts are more about like these eating trends, which can in effect be dysfunctional for certain people, I believe.
0: Yeah. And when you talk about taking food out of context, you know, you, you you use juicing as an example, would you say like, you know, the, the green smoothie trend where you're putting like, you know, fistfuls of spinach into a smoothie and you're eating cups and cups and cups of baby spinach every single day. I mean, that that's like out of context, number one, it's lack of variety, potentially number two, is that kind of what you mean? That's exactly what I mean,
1: and and you know I think that in people's mindset on the other side of nu- the nutritional spectrum, people think that if a little is good, more is better. Sure. So I'm just going to hammer on all that spinach, and I'm just going to juice the heck out of it, and take a whole bag full of spinach and juice it down, and then I'm going to get all of the the folate that I need. You know, food is medicine, but it can also um, be imbalanced, and I, I do think that we just have to look at variety. Variety is so protective in the way of giving us better nutrients and also veering us away from potential toxicities, because food is medicine, but it can also provide things that are toxic, as we know from heavy metals, endocrine disruptors, you know, there. I think that the bigger thing to be looking at with plant foods is not these anti-nutrients, and I'm doing the air quotes. People can't see that, but you're seeing it. <laughs> um, I think we need to be looking at the bigger concern, which would be the environmental contaminants, things that get into the the food, the air, the water, the heavy metals, the the um, the bisphenols, the phthalates, a lot of these persistent organic pollutants that make our way into the food supply. That's where our focus needs to be. I don't think that the anti-nutrients are like the, the big target, but the things that are a bit more overwhelming and even more dysfunctional in the body.
0: Yeah, that's really fair. Um, I do want to drill into some specific anti-nutrients, you know, in a moment, but this is such a huge, huge piece of the overall health pie when we start to talk about environmental toxicity, I think this is where people get very anxious because it feels like a little bit like we're sitting ducks. Like what can we actually do? What control do we actually have in this situation or in this scenario? And so what do you, what would you say to somebody who's like, ah, yeah, I know, I'm, I'm getting the metals, the heavy metals, our, our soils are, you know, lacking in minerals, and we're getting all this like toxic exposure. What do you say to somebody who might be feeling really overwhelmed about that, about the food source in general?
1: Number one, work with a practitioner who understands gene variants, Because if we can understand how we actually detoxify, we can be much more intelligent about it. Like you and I, we might have, you know, we all detoxify, right? We're all pooping and peeing and crying and um, sweating. And, you know, all of our portals are there, but some of us may be doing it more efficiently than others. And once you look at genes, and there are certain genes that functional medicine type providers have access to, you can get a little bit more savvy about which pathways might be a little bit more sluggish. And then you can target and be a little bit more personalized in things like, Taking certain vitamins to ramp up certain pathways, so I say first and foremost, there's a lot to put our arms around, let somebody guide you through the process, work with a practitioner who is seasoned in the art, and there are many of them out there, so that's number one um, number two, what an, I, you know you look at the literature, increased and better nutritional status will help to buffer us from the effects of toxins the The issue with toxins is that they cause oxidative stress in the body that leads to accelerated aging and processes of disease. So if we can kind of reverse engineer that and figure out, okay, if toxins do this, um, how can I buffer my body? Because I can't control the environment, so how do I control my body? I can do that by having nutrients and plants. (laughs) That's where plants come in. Because again, uh, my mantra for detoxification, and this is what I teach at the university, is protein and plants. Protein provides the foundational bedrock of a lot of those different enzymes, provides the conjugates for helping the toxins to move out of the body, but then the plants provide the antioxidants, the vitamins, the minerals, the fibers that bind. So if we can rotate protein and plants through our daily cycle, and this is where, you know, I I came up with my book, Whole Detox, because I put together a program with those rotational Elements of eating and making sure that we get a variety of different colors. Again, you know, I keep coming back to variety. I, I was looking at a paper yesterday. I think it was from 2018, showing how having dietary diversity can actually help in reducing our risk of foodborne illness. Just having things in the the food supply with, that can be toxic, right? And I just think it's a good operating principle because in nutrition. You know, once we hear like, oh, butter is bad or margarine is bad, then people like swing the other way, back to the other side of the pendulum, right? Whereas if we take the principle of more sprinkling of diversity, variety, rotational aspects of eating, we know that this helps the immune system. It helps the gut microbiome, which in part then leads to other changes. And, you know, if we think of the gut microbiome, this is really one of those divining rods into people's overall wellness and health. And what can happen with these anti-nutrients, just to go back to that for a second, is I don't think that they're actually anti-nutrients. I think that they are messengers within foods that are signaling to our physiology that something's off. So it's not to point the finger at the food and say, oh, it's the tomatoes and the tomato seeds. It might actually be those lectins that we might be taking in are signaling that there is something that is out of balance, it could be from a gut perspective, an immune perspective now that all of which to say, we shouldn't just keep eating those tomatoes if we do find that we're sensitive because I have worked, and I've had even for myself indications of autoimmune symptoms over the years that I have used my food to help me to kind of get back in balance, and then once I'm back in balance again, it's like, oh okay, now I can take and bring in more. Just different foods together
0: in a meal. That is an extremely important point. So I'm glad that you brought it up because the reality is, five years ago, we, we've talked about I've talked about anti nutrients on the show before. Because I, I mean, anti nutrients. We're just going to use that term for lack of a better term for for today's show. Right? There was a point in my healing journey when I had a lot of autoimmune issues, a lot of GI issues, where I actually did have to soak and sprout a lot Mm -hmm. of the nuts and the seeds that I was eating. I actually had to not eat a tremendous amount of um, uh, nightshade foods, or I would feel my joints get a little bit itchy, scratchy, and cranky. And that's the reality of it. And also, I I was able to do a lot of healing And now I can tolerate a lot more foods. And that's kind of the whole goal. It's not to say how restrictive can we be? How many foods can we villainize? How many foods can we take away? But how can we get to our ourselves to a place where we're able to tolerate more things? So I love how you're, you know, kind of repositioning it as hey, like maybe there's an if you're reacting to some of these foods, it could be an indication that something's amiss in in your physiology. And it's just like a a little bit of a cry for help rather than saying these foods are terrible and they're going to kill you dead. End of story.
1: Right. Like they have this emotional uh, interplay, you know, I mean, I, and I think then that's where more fear enters in, and then fear leads to increased stress response, and then when we have increased stress, increased sympathetic nervous system imbalance, and then, um, you know, that adds, I think, significantly to disease even more, perhaps, than some of these Different compounds within plants that we're talking about, but I have uh, in the clinic. One of the things that we focused on, even with autoimmune indications, when people would come in with very various diseases and and such, is I, I would just work with them on mono meals. So mono meals meaning that um, you know let's just do like sweet potatoes and just try that out. How do you feel? How does your gut feel? And eventually what I was finding is that people would whittle down their foods so much because they were so afraid of eating. And I remember I had one person I was working with, she was so organized and she went to all these different practitioners and she saved on spreadsheets, all the things that they told her so that by the time that she got the, she has a final tab here with all of the food she can eat. We're just looking at like 10 foods. And then she had fear, like, what, what if I can't eat those 10 foods? And then I had proposed, why don't we do micro rotation? Why don't we have like little itty bits of food so that it's not just like a whopping amount of any one thing on your plate, but like really small amounts so that nothing can feel like it's just bombarding you and offending you. And that was a very liberating thought. And it was working in the way of opening up her mental and physical horizons and not having all that stress.
0: Hey, let's take a quick break so we can talk about low sugar nutrition. I'm always looking for kind of quick and dirty ways to pack in extra nutrition, polyphenols, antioxidants, fibers for my gut, and even herbs for my stress response. Like the more adaptogens, the better, which is why I use Organifi powders every day, several times a day. I love to put them into my water. This is great if you're one of those people that struggles to just get enough hydration, get enough water, and if you feel like water's really boring, these powders can zhuzh it up for you. My kiddo loves them. She feels like she's drinking juice. I also throw them into my smoothies just as a way to get some extra nutrition. My personal favorite is the red juice. So it has lots of different red powders Things like acai, cranberry, pomegranate, strawberry, raspberry, blueberry, all of those polyphenol rich red and blue powders. And if you've listened to the show or you've seen me on Instagram, you've heard me talk about the benefits of these powders. They feed a very unique and particular type of bacteria in your gut called acromantia. Acromantia is a keystone player. It's wicked important for keeping your gut healthy and strong. It prevents leaky gut also is very important for metabolic health and insulin signaling and controlling blood sugar. Now, unfortunately, I do a lot of stool tests on people and see that acromantia is low, sometimes even below detectable limits. That's a real bummer. Some of the bacteria in our guts are little piggies. They'll eat anything. And then some bacteria are more like snobby foodies that will only eat specific things. This acromantia bacteria loves to eat red polyphenols. So the more red foods you can eat, the better. And getting red powders is super important as well. So the red juice is something that you can grab super easy and it's low sugar. All of Organifi's powders are under three grams of sugar per serving. And most of them offer up fiber as well to counteract any spike in blood sugar. So highly recommend, I throw them in my smoothie so I can pack in a bunch of veggies without adding a ton of fruit that might spike my blood sugar and I can still make them sweet and palatable. Go to Organifi's website, Organifi.com. You can click the link in the show notes. Be sure to use the code FUNK. It will save you 20% off of every single order you ever place. You get a good deal and you get to support all the good things in your body too. Shout out to show sponsor Element, I'm so pumped to hear that you guys are digging this stuff. I knew you would. It's so freaking tasty. I did get a question about sodium. Somebody asked if I was concerned with the sodium content and the answer is not at all. In fact, that's why I sought out Element as my electrolyte drink of choice. Active athletes, especially during hot weather, can lose up to seven grams of sodium per day just through sweat alone. And in order to replete that, to replace that, we need both water and sodium so we can reestablish appropriate and proper hydration. Listen, it's summer here in New Hampshire. It's hot. I'm active. I like to do hot yoga. Honestly, on my hot yoga days, I actually double down on Element. I know many of you are active as well. So this is something that we really should be mindful of. Salt has been villainized. It's not the bad guy. We need salt. We need minerals. We need electrolytes. And if you want to do it in a yummy way, Element is your thing. So, right now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. So, that's eight packets for free with any Element order. It's a great way to try the flavor, see what you like. And you can get it at drinkelement.com forward slash funk. The deal is only available through my link. You got to go to DRINKLMNT.com forward slash funk. You also get a no questions asked refund. So, try it risk-free. You're going to love it. And we can't forget our show sponsor, Dry Farm Wines. This is truly a vision board partner. I've wanted to partner with them for a while now, as I've personally had a Dry Farm Wine subscription for years. Now I'm certainly not suggesting wine is a health food, but joy certainly is. And personally for me, there's just something about cooking a healthy meal with some music and my family and having a glass of wine. It's just, honestly, it's one of my favorite experiences, but unfortunately I started to react really harshly to wine a few years back. I literally remember crying to a friend um, because I'm like, I just do so much for my health. I don't want to have to give up an occasional glass of wine, something that I really enjoy. Now we talk a lot on this show about processed foods, but what I actually did not know and didn't understand at the time is that wine can be extremely processed as well, which is why it can make you feel like trash even when you're only drinking a glass or two. There are 76 additives that are legally approved for use in winemaking. So this include dyes, thickeners, and GMO yeast. And so many of my clients have yeast uh, allergies and yeast sensitivity. So it makes sense that wine makes us feel not so great. And the top 20 wines sold in the U.S., contain high levels of sugar. And we know that sugar can make us feel not so great. So I actually found out about Dry Farm Wines on a podcast a few years back, and I was stoked because they use, um, it's organically, biodynamically grown, it's sugar-free, low alcohol, and they source wines from small family growers, all of whom make their wine by hand, and supporting these family vineyards really helps to preserve the healthy soil, the biodiversity, and support natural farming practices. So if you're like me and you want to have some wine without feeling horrible, check out dry farm wines for functional nutrition podcast listeners. They are offering an extra bottle in your first box for a penny. They can't give it away for free because it's alcohol. So make sure you head to dryfarmwines.com forward slash Funk to sign up for your first box, you get free shipping delivered straight to your door, and I hope you enjoy all right back to the show sometimes what i 'll do for, for those hyper vigilant folks who are just hyperreactive, whether that's more from like an emotional standpoint or a physiological standpoint, or usually both because hey as it would turn out what's happening at the level of the mind actually does influence your body right um, yeah. but it's almost like. Hardwiring the brain ahead of time for a like a to to like towards safety before you reintroduce the foods and then doing the micro dosing almost of foods like doing the micro rotations and I find that that works really really well for anybody listening who's like. That's me. I'm the person that can only eat 10 foods. Um, kind of set it putting yourself in a situation. I have a little bit of a step-by-step process, but putting yourself in a situation where you're not expecting to react is almost, is like one of the better ways I could kind of explain that. Um, I would love to hear. So I, I you, you know, you've you've hit on some of these different types of compounds, but could we could you go into a little bit more detail with each of them just in case somebody's not familiar or if somebody's like, you know, really conscientious of certain compounds. So lectins is a big one. You've mentioned it a bunch. Um, can you explain what a lectin is?
1: Yes, it's, um, uh, basically a glycoprotein. And so it has like a, a long sugar compound connected to some kind of protein compound. And it's found in, you know, typically we think of, um, it can be found in a lot of different foods, actually see that's the other thing is that yeah. uh you know, but usually tomatoes uh you know things with seeds uh tend to be seen as the culprits or legumes legume if if I look at many of these different categories, legumes tend to be the big offender because we see other things like phytates and uh things that can bind, and of course, who's going to eat raw? kidney beans or raw beans in, in any context. Like that's not very common. But yes, there have been reports and you know just we, we can say that there can be a risk of having certain things in their raw state when that's not the, the traditional format. So lectins, um yes, they're they and Dr. Aristo Vajdani is an immunologist who has done some work on immunoreactivity and he has looked at things like lectins and isolation. And yeah, there is, and I think he quotes like 10 to 15% of the population or at least of the people that he has studied where there is immunoreactivity. So these compounds in food, and many of them can either, you can omit them, you can take out the seeds as an example, or just cook foods well to help to reduce... the the lectin content, and that you see traditionally throughout a number of these different compounds that we'll talk about, like goitrogens are the same thing. Goitrogens are typically found in cruciferous vegetables, and when we cook them, we inactivate those goitrogenic compounds, so typically when we think of goitrogens, they are associated with reduced thyroid function. I just want to go back quickly to lectins because one of the things that Weston uh, and I had found and we we talked about it in the paper is that some of these compounds within foods that would be designated as lectins are being looked at as uh, therapeutic agents for certain conditions. So like in isolation, you know, in, in certain proportions and in certain cell model systems, they may actually be conferring some benefit that's still underway and still under study. It just goes to show again, you know, how we need to understand the complexity of these compounds in food. And you know, sometimes I, I wonder, let's just take tomatoes. So you were talking about nightshades and just thinking about autoimmune. You know, is it tomatoes or is there a combination of certain things in the tomatoes, or is it the acidity? Or is it um, you know, you hear all the time how when they travel, when people travel to places like somewhere in Europe, they don't have quite the same reaction. So is it how the food is selected uh, and bred that creates more of certain compounds that throws that balance off. We also need to be looking at that. And there can also be certain things within that food, perhaps certain types of food, certain pesticides that have been applied. So there might be certain crops that are just more designated to those things. But yes, heat can inactivate lectins and goitrogens. Um, so yeah, I, I think you know, just again, looking at food preparation.
0: And you know what I'll do? Well, in the show notes or somewhere, we'll we'll kind of break down. I'll link to your, to the study because you have really helpful tables in that, in that paper. Yes, that I, I think kind of just...
1: just give that paper, you know, we summarize summarized all of the methods that help to inactivate or help to reduce uh, yeah. in cooking. So I think that
0: that, that would be good. Super helpful. And then oxalates, oxalates get, you know, I feel like oxalates like kind of come in the go in terms of like the zeitgeist of like, what's going to kill you this time. But oxalates seem to be rearing up again. Um, like you can't eat spinach or you're going to get kidney stones. End of story. Like where, where are we at with oxalates?
1: Well, I do think oxalates um, can be uh, compounds. There are, there are certain people that do hyperabsorb oxalates, so that that is pretty well known, and there can be certain indications like, uh, as you mentioned, certain kidney indications that you have to be a little bit more conscientious. So the, the thing that we found with oxalates is a couple of things. First of all, yes, heat. Yes, having moist cooking methods can be helpful, Um, so having things like steaming, you know, just bringing in, um, alternate, just different ways to cook and then also ensuring that we have minerals. So oxalates will bind to things like calcium and then not be such a problem. So, you know, one of the things that I have thought about with oxalates is, are they really signaling a mineral insufficiency or a mineral imbalance? And perhaps if we, Get in, And of course, this hasn't been tested because there are so many different complications of how you would do this. But if we were to look at calcium levels, magnesium levels, and start to get a little bit deeper into that, could we see that we wouldn't have as many issues with oxalates?
0: Well, that's a really interesting, because we haven't really talk, talked about that too, too much, is that some of the issues with these potential anti-nutrients is that they bind up other nutrients, right? And they keep us from being able to access them. And so that's an interesting thought that, like, ideally, if we have an abundance of minerals available to us, then plant foods may not be, you know, the, the anti-nutrients in the plant foods might not be such an issue because we have like a surplus versus if there is potential deficiency or inadequacy, we're going to have more of an issue with some of these compounds.
1: Yes. And the heat can in fact liberate some of the minerals and other cofactors within the food matrix itself, because plants are very fibrous, right? And so many times we're not able to access those particular nutrients, whether it's vitamins, minerals, or even phytonutrients, because they're bound up. So I always get the question, Deanna, should I be eating foods that are raw or cooked? (laughs) It's like, Yes. You know, everything along that (laughs) spectrum, because if we just do one method of cooking all the time, then we're not getting another class of nutrients. So when it comes to raw, I typically think of things like water-soluble nutrients, like vitamin C, B vitamins, because they're more prone to degradation with heat, light, and oxygen. Um, And you can also change some of the fats in in foods. Um, You can make them a little, you can damage them through too much heat application. But on the other side of it, steaming is kind of like I I would say right in the middle like that sweet spot where you can get the liberation of compounds from that plant matrix so with steaming you start to soften some of those plant fibers and allow for things like the minerals to be better absorbed you inactivate things that we're referring to as anti-nutrients so just that and here's the other principle I use is color with cooking so let's just take you know carrots When people steam or they cook carrots where it's like bright, you know, that just kind of tells me like, oh, it's kind of soft. It's easy to chew. It's going to give me the carotenoids that I need that are fat soluble that do not destruct in heat. So that might be better to do for things like carrots. But there are um, studies out there showing, you know, a table of when you have just the right amount of heat, like just the right amount of steaming. So not overcooking where you're getting browning. Now, you know, again, we're, it seems like we're getting back to that spectrum where you have just a a little bit of heat in order to give you what you want and then inactivate what you don't want.
0: So it's, I mean, it really comes back because this could potentially be a little overwhelming for people to be like, okay, so I have to steam my carrots and I have to eat these, but it it comes back to the variety principle, like a variety across all board, uh, like all, you know, all channels. We're changing up the ways that we're cooking things. We're eating raw. Sometimes we're eating cooked. Sometimes we're changing our cooking the way we, we do cook. We're changing up the different types of veggies that we're in fruits that we're getting just like variety change all the time. <laughs>
1: That's right. That's right. And changing up meal compositions too, changing up how we prepare foods, changing up how we what kind of cookware we have, because, you know, there's really no safety belt there either. You know, you look at all the different kinds of cookware, like cast iron and stainless steel, things that would be acceptable. But if you keep doing the same cookware all the time, there's something about each one that would be a pro and a con. Just like if you were to overcook your food or cook it all the time, a pro and a con if it's raw pro and a con like i can always see both sides of it because that's the reality and again if we just can all here's the easy principle for everybody to remember diversity in all things in people you meet in things that you do in like the way that you think about things how you prepare your meals the foods that you eat you know even within um functional medicine we talk about the elimination diet and then moving into more of a Every three to four days, moving into more rotation with foods. You know, if we can just bring back the diversity principle, one of the things that I did in one of my online groups was I did a challenge for people. Now, this is to make it more practical for the listeners. Like, okay, so what does she mean when she's talking about diversity? So, well, first you need to know, like, how diverse is your diet? So tracking and like actually journaling, taking pictures and kind of looking at like, okay, am I eating bananas every day? Well, that's not diverse. So, one of the things we did in this online challenge was we did 50, so five zero unique plant based foods in seven days. And it was based on a, a publication on the gut microbiome and diversity of foods by Miguel Toribio Mateus, who's a PhD researcher in the UK. And I saw his paper and he had it brilliantly laid out with, you know, boxes where you fill in like the 50 foods. So, I took his concept and then I just made categories of foods. I said, let's just focus on plants, 50 unique plant-based foods in, in seven days. Let's just see where where people can uh, you know where, where you can get with this. And so let's just take an example like apples. Let's just say you really like apples. you know I live in the state of apples, Washington State. If I just have a pink lady apple every day that is not diversity. but if I have a pink lady on Monday and then I have a red delicious on Tuesday, that's diverse. It's a different variety. So let's just say you really like something, like you want your salad every day and you want lettuce every day. Well, then changing up the greens, which is why buying like mixed greens rather than just arugula can be a good thing, right? Because it gives you diversity. So what I learned uh, from that whole experience was that people, you know, the more that you focus on diversity, the more you're you're going to actually be much more aware of your purchases in the store. And you need to shop almost like a European which is and i used to live in europe so that's why i'm commenting on this but you know you go to the grocery store like <laughs> every 2 to 3 days like you're you're not buying for the week in bulk at costco or some like mega store you you really actually need to buy smaller amounts and then you get fresh in my perspective you get a more fresh variety of foods choosing local choosing seasonal and Then you get to rotate and be a little bit more thoughtful about your food. Now, some people would say like, I don't have the time for that, but this is part of nutrition. Like if if we're thinking of paying money to go see a practitioner and, you know, spend the time to do all these other things, it's just part and parcel of like how we can change our thinking and start to weave in these applications for more sustained longer term benefit.
0: Yeah, that's really, um, there was a while back, I was doing a challenge, I think it was like 40 species a week or something, just to kind of get people thinking about like, oh wait, I'm eating the same, like the same five veggies over and over and over. I go to the grocery store, I pick out the same things, kind of like habitually, this is the things that I get, I bring them home and that's what we eat. And people are like, in their heads, they're like, yeah, I'm eating tons of veggies. I'm eating a lot, right? And then when you actually drill into like how many species or how many different varieties are you eating, that's when you can kind of see like, I'm maybe not getting as much diversity in my diet as I thought I was. So that's a really helpful tip. Um, I don't want to keep you for too much longer. I do want to ask one final question. You recently said, it was on your Instagram, you, you posted that all health starts with clear communication. I am, I love clear communication. I didn't have very many boundaries or much structure growing up. So I am somebody, tell me exactly what you expected me. That makes me feel safe. So I love clear communication in my life. Tell me what it has to do with health.
1: Everything. It's, it's what you're thinking. You know, we, we can start there with our internal communication. So what are we, what are the thoughts that we're thinking? What are the emotions that we're feeling? That's communication. That is sending signals to our physiology. It can be external communication. So it can be, what are we taking in through food? Food is information. We're communicating with our body through food, with a meal, with other people, with life experiences, to me, everything is about communication and there's even the principle in psychology and relationships that, you know, it, it's always, is it about the, the, the toothpaste and the capping off the toothpaste for the couple and the, the argument, you know, what is the deeper level of communication, right? So I think about it with our bodies, is it really anti-nutrients that we need to focus on, or is it something deeper that we need to be really excavating? And I would say it's deep conscious communication, and it, it's really like everything that we're feeding ourselves in terms of signals, external. You know, do an inventory. What is the space that you're in? How is the color? How are the things on your walls? Your where you are you know, just all of your inputs to be looking at them from a spatial orientation, a physical orientation, your bedroom. I mean, everything counts. Nothing is insignificant. Everything is communicating constantly. And many times we think of the vehicles of communicators at like hormones or neurotransmitters, because they're changing up our endocrine function. They're changing up our neuronal function, our behavior, ultimately. So to me, everything is communication. How does the gut talk to the brain? How does the gut talk to the heart? How is the heart talking to the skin? You know, we live in the system's web and it starts with us being very conscious of that. And we don't, if we don't have that consciousness that everything is important, then it's like a huge blind spot. Like we're not actually tapping into how to really optimize and, and focus on you know, corralling and bringing in all of those many aspects, because, you know, another thing that I had on Instagram too, was that there's not just one root cause. Like we can't just say like, oh, it's just lectins. That's the offender. I found it. It's like the shiny object syndrome. Like, yes. And then you figure out like, once you omit the lectins, you still have this condition. It's like, oh, okay. What did I miss? What food did I not uh, omit from my diet? Well, maybe it's not about the food. Maybe there is something else that's deeper. So I think we need to look at the physical. We need to look at emotional, mental, the energetic aspects, the subtle aspects, like the the waves, the fields that we're surrounded in, electromagnetic frequencies. You know, there's even, um, the more that I go into the literature as it relates to toxins, we look at things like radiation. You know, there can be things that we're not even accounting for, but, you know, how do we not get ourselves in this mode of fear? And look at it more as curiosity, just like how I started this whole thing with Weston, And I was just curious, like, okay, I had heard a speaker at a conference talk about lectins and autoimmunity, and it got me curious. I was like, is there something that I'm overlooking here? So I, I think if we can be curious about our health and realize that not everything is just one root cause, that we are truly the spectrum, which is why I focus on color, because we are spectrum beings, we have many different layers to who we are. And one layer is going to ripple through and change another. So how do we, how we communicate in the physical will connect into the emotional, will connect into the mental, it'll connect into the whole of who we are. So that's a long-winded answer to get what you're asking about. But I do think that communication is, is so much of health. And also how we communicate with our practitioners. You know, do we have a health team Do we have coaches? You know, it's almost like, you know, when you go to get your haircut and then, you know, some people blame the stylist after they've got the the haircut, like, oh, that stylist gave me a bad cut. Well, how did you communicate to the stylist what you wanted, right? And and somebody said, and maybe I just end with this, that um, a friend of mine, Lisa, had mentioned to me a week ago, she's like, Deanna, I believe that communication is the responsibility of the communicator. And if we apply that principle to our health and healing, If we are, if this is, if our body is our conduit, how do we communicate to it overall? Because we change one level of communication, it's going to ripple through and change the whole of our being.
0: I love it. And I think that really fits in with the vibe that we've been talking about here recently. So that's, it's perfect. It's going to land perfectly. I just keep thinking about health. and like, we want to like, we want to zone in, we want to compartmentalize. We want to, you know, just make it mean one little thing and what we really have to do is widen the lens even further, even bigger. Keep going. There you go. You know,
1: it's got <laughs> come to come back to the micro too. I think we need to do telescope, microscope, telescope, microscope. Like sometimes we do need to zoom in. And there's validity to that. Cause if we go too expansive, then it's like, how do you get your arms around that in a practical sense?
0: That's so a good I point. Do think
1: like going back and forth is a really good thing.
0: Yeah. And having the the tools to, to do that could be really helpful. So thank you so, so, so much for this conversation. It was wonderful. It was an honor to have you on the show.
1: Really great to be here with you, Erin. And yeah, please post the link to the paper so that everybody can see what, uh, Weston and I wrote about, you can get some nice charts and you can actually read the science of each of the, the different quote unquote, uh, anti-nutrients
0: for sure. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you got something from today's show, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.